This is CliffCentral.com. This is Disrupt with Booming Club, powered by Two Systems. Good morning. Welcome to Disrupt with Mpumin Tlapo. Thank you for joining us again. Um, once again on the show, we've got a wonderful guest with us today. I'll introduce him shortly. Um, if it's your first time listening to the show, um, on the show, we focus on disruptive and immersive technologies that are really shaping our country, our continent, and indeed the rest of the world. We speak to thought leaders and industry pioneers that help us to understand some of the conversations that are shaping um, the digital journey that organizations and ourselves as individuals are going on. Today with me today in the studio, I've got Monet Becker. Monet joins me. He's the country manager and district manager for SADC for South Africa at NetApp. Monet, good morning. Thank you for joining me. Morning, Pumi. How are you doing today? Getting yourself. Very good. Thank you. Um, Monet, it's, you've got an interesting background because you don't necessarily come from the technology space. Um, your grassroots education was in audit. Um, that's, that's auditing, correct. and you've landed up in the technology space, heading up a global, you know, OEM, NetApp, uh, Net systems integrator from a cloud and storage perspective. Um, how did you get into the space? Yeah, to me, it's actually quite an interesting journey. Um, obviously, studying auditing and starting out in a business field, um, but always had a very fond um, affinity towards technology. And obviously, in the modern age technology plays such an important part to to business yes and it's it's just exciting it's a massive change it's massive disruption but it's an exciting place to be absolutely fantastic and you took up the role of country manager at netapp um, in march 2017 um, and before the show we're chatting a little bit about you know the work you've done in the last year and you know i asked questions to you about you know, um, as as we see uh, the storage capability and storage capacity becoming more of a commodity, that uh, that doesn't reduce the relevance of the data that's being stored, and that in fact that becomes more and more important in terms of how the world and businesses are evolving. Can you just very briefly talk to me about you know the last uh, year or so within your business, some of the changes that are taking place, and how that translates into what's happening in the industry at large? Yeah, I think first of all, you know, com- storage per se, um, spinning disk for for that matter, is is a reducing commodity. Yes, it it is certainly scaling back. However, on the same token, you see a massive um, growth in data, and probably in the ne- next three four years, you'll see data quadruple um, as machine learning and all of these sensors etc. out there are generating data, and customers of ours are, are obviously harnessing this. The relevance, though, is what do you do with the data? Every single organization has got this massive asset pool that they sit on, and it's called data. Yes. And you have to mine that. You have to analyze it and create new markets for yourself, get better at what you do, and obviously be a leader in the disruptive space that we are currently in. Okay. So, I mean, in, in, that, in that context, then, you've, you've mentioned um, that there are five key predictions that came out of your organization in terms of how data will shape and play out um, from going into 2018 and then, I, I guess, into 2019 and 2020 as well. And what I'd like us to do today is to go through those five predictions and get into each one and talk a little bit about, um, well, firstly, to define you know what, what, you, what the message is um, from your side and then to talk a little bit about how that translates into everyday life, so how we might be able to interpret that in terms of our, our everyday um, um, interactions. 
Um, so um, the, the five predictions, firstly, they were written by your CTO globally. That's is correct. That, is that correct? That's correct. And this is something that you guys release on an annual basis as you look forward into the business. Yeah, typically it comes out sort of November, December timeframe every year. Okay. And taking a, a look to the future, so to speak, into the crystal ball. Yes. And how has it been received? So before we get into the details, how has it been received by, by your customers, by your staff, by the media? Has there been a positive reaction? Has it been challenged? It's it's been very positive. I think um a lot of people today are very tech savvy. Yes. So a lot of guys do a lot more research. We we always joke and say our customers probably know more about our product sets than we do. Absolutely. Um and obviously the internet is is there for that purpose. Yeah. But certainly we, we had a very good event with the media um end of November okay. as the predictions were released. Okay. And it was very well received. Okay. A lot of interest, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate around it. Hopefully we can bring some of that uh, into the show today. So let's get into it. The first one talks about data becoming self-aware. Um, and, and I guess what you're suggesting there is that the data in itself has got information about itself that it uses um, um, to define um, what happens to that data. Can you just break that down a little bit for me? Yeah, to me, for me. So if you look at data today, um, data is becoming more self-aware and even more diverse than, than what it is. And typically what we talk about is the metadata. So that'll make it possible for data to proactively be transported, categorized, and analyzed. And obviously, very importantly, protect itself. Okay. So really what we're talking about is the flow between data, the applications, and then the storage elements. That'll be mapped in real time as the data delivers exact information where a user wants it in the exact time that it needs it. Okay. So obviously this drives towards data self-governance. Um, so if we look at that, the data itself will determine who has the right to access it, share it, and use it. Mm. Obviously this has wider implications to external data when we talk about protection, privacy, governance, and us down in the southern part of South Africa, the sovereignty of our data. Yes. That we know where it is. So an example could be a car accident. Okay. Okay. So if you, if you look at a car accident, there's a number of groups of people that want information, that want data from, from that event. So for example, a judge or an insurance company, they might need that data to determine liability. So who's responsible for the accident? What caused the accident? Mm. Those type of things. An auto manufacturer. So let's pick any of the big brands out there. They would want their data to optimize the performance of the brakes, other mechanical systems, understand if there is potentially a problem w- with internal mechanisms in the car. So some sort of diagnostic correct. information about what happened prior, during, and after the accident. Correct, yeah. correct. So if data is self-aware and it can be tagged, so it controls itself and who sees parts of it and when, so without additional time-consuming, so sen- centralizing the data, having somebody else analyze it and put out reports, essentially this can then speed up the whole process of determining how to subdivide, approve, disseminate the valuable data okay. and actually get to market much quicker. Okay. So does this suggest then that we're going to have to have big servers in, in for example, uh, autonomous vehicles or in my fridge one day when it becomes you know, IoT-enabled? I mean, what are the implications of this from a practical perspective? Well, I think that sort of rolls into our second um, prediction, okay. and that's what we call virtual machines becoming ride-share machines. Okay. Now, as we know, um, virtualization is no new concept. It's pretty mature in the marketplace. 
But what we are seeing or predicting is that it will be faster, cheaper, and more convenient to manage the increasing amount of data that's distributed in these virtual machines. So typically provisioned on web-scale infrastructure um, rather than obviously real machines. Yeah. So again, if, if we can bring a practical example, um, this is the old traditional conversation around buying a car versus leasing a car or using a rideshare. So things like Uber or, um, or Lyft. So by way of example, if somebody wants to haul a heavy load every single day, it'll probably make sense for them to buy a truck, right? Yes, for sure. However, if you only need a certain type of vehicle for a very short period of time, it's probably better to lease it. So, for example, a delivery vehicle to do one or two deliveries. And then if you look at somebody that merely wants to get from point A to point B, one time or maybe once or twice a month type of thing, the vehicle really doesn't matter. Mm. Whether I'm in a, a little sedan or a massively big SUV, it really it's just there for speed and convenience. So that's typically where you'd look at a, a ride share option. And if we take that into the tech space, that is exactly the same type of thinking that applies in the context of virtual versus physical machine instances. So if you look at um, custom hardware, for example, yeah. so really massive infrastructure to run big, big enterprise applications. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's very expensive, um, but it's there for a reason for consistent and intensive workloads. So to make that physical or the, that investment in, in that physical infrastructure reads a real solid business case. So what if we can take that and put that into a cloud-type environment? Okay. So I'm not talking your typical virtualization or infrastructure as a service, but really web scale um, um, infrastructure thought process. So if you look at that and we compare that to a rideshare service, the user will determine and specify exactly what task needs to be done. And apart from that, the cloud provider or service provider will then figure out how to best do this. Okay. Is is that similar to what we have today where you've got like public cloud, private cloud, etc.? Or, or is this different? Is this an evolution of that? So it's basically an evolution. Okay. Um, this is type of decision-making, infrastructure decision-making that will happen within any one of those forms of the cloud. Okay. And, and a typical example. So, um, you know, if, if I'm running a, a large, you know, division within within an enterprise that, that we're planning to digitize or, or to transform digitally, how how would this um, prediction play into that? So, what type of decisions would that allow me to make? Well, essentially, what what we what we're predicting is that the the end user okay. or, the, or the customer, in this sense, yes, will determine what tasks that does he need for the application to perform. Okay, how it gets performed and where it gets performed is pretty much irrelevant to him. All he wants is the end result. And and the implications then, for example, for my internal IT capabilities, is this something that they would enable or is this coming straight out of the business? Because I know these are debates that happen regularly within organizations. A lot of it goes to, to more intense planning and tools that help you plan better. Okay. And obviously making better use of optimizing your infrastructural um, investment. Okay. So then what I understand is, the, the more technical folks in the organization will be there to help with the planning, 
to make sure that you're able to leverage these services then as and when you need them. So they wouldn't necessarily be rolling out the infrastructure themselves. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Then on to your third prediction. Data will grow faster um, than the ability to transport it. And, and that's okay, you guys say. Um, what, what are you saying in that space? <laughs> this is quite a quite an interesting one for us. Um, so obviously we all know, it's no big secret that um, data is becoming very dynamic. Yeah. Okay, we're seeing it being generated at unprecedented rates in, in, in the marketplace. And essentially what, we, what we're seeing is it will greatly exceed the ability to actually transport it. So what, what, what this means is instead of moving your data, the application and the resources needed to process it will be moved to the data. And obviously that has implications for new architectures. Okay. And we talk about edge and core and cloud in, in the space. Okay. So I just, I want to pause there because, um, I, I'm a little bit lost there as well. So just can we, can we break that down? So instead of moving the data to a central place, like a typical system does today, it goes into a database or a server or somewhere else. We're going to bring the application to the data. What, how would that practically happen? So, so let's, let's take, for example, the autonomous car. Okay. Okay. So the autonomous car is driving down the freeway. And it's driving itself. And it's driving itself and it's got five, ten other cars around it and it needs to sense where it is. Okay. Those sensors and the data generates is pretty pointless bringing that back to a centralized environment, doing analytics, sending it back on a transport layer. Okay. By that time, the car's probably had a massive crash. Um, and there's some implications around that and mm. safety, etc. Mm. So it's better to have the intelligence to analyze the data and do something with it and obviously govern the car's ability to not make the accident within the space where the car is op- actually operating. And that's really what we talk about edge. Okay. So inst- some data will absolutely come back, like we had the example earlier of a car accident actually happening. Okay. That analytics, some of that will have to go back to centralized environments. To be processed after the fact. After the fact. Yeah. But when it's real time and you want something to interact and make decisions, it's better to have that at the core. Okay. Uh, Sorry, at the edge. Okay. And that's really the application and intelligence and the processing will then move into that environment where the data is generated. Okay. And doesn't that then have implications from a, a network and a connectivity perspective? Because, you know, if you're wanting, if, if I'm assuming, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, this is going to be living in a cloud environment. So it's not going to be physically stored on the vehicle in the, in the case of, a, of an autonomous vehicle. Mm-hmm. Then the, the networks that, that we need to have in place to dynamically process all the stuff that's happening at the same time would need to be far superior to what we have today. Is, would that be a correct assessment? Absolutely. Um, the networks are growing. Um, there's certainly some of our OEM partners and alliances that have got some really exciting technology okay. around the network and how the networks are growing and the implications of that. Yeah. But ultimately, data is just growing so much faster. Yeah. And you're never, ever going to be able to transport all the amounts of data that you need into a core environment with speeds that you need to fulfill, mm. like the case with autonomous vehicles. Okay. And so, and then you were still just continuing in terms of, um, so as, as this data grows faster than ability to transport it with the understanding that um, we're going to have to process um, intelligence, we call it at the edge, but effectively it means 
wherever it is that that decision has an impact, right? Whether it's a vehicle, I spoke about a fridge, it could be a, a workload for, for an end user, but that, that happens right there in the instance. Mm-hmm. What, what are the other aspects of that prediction? Is there anything else uh, pursuant to that? Not really. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's, it, it's about the data yeah. and to make it available where it's really needed Okay. and to make sure that it's secure in that environment as well. Okay. Then the first, uh, or the fourth, pardon me, the fourth prediction uh, talks about the evolution from big data to huge data. Yeah, I like, you know, IT people, we really like to coin new phrases. We, and with this will demand new solid state driven architecture. So I want to kind of hold off on the solid state driven ar- architectures. We'll get to that. Let's talk about evolving from big data to huge data. What, what, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? So, so obviously, I mean, like I said earlier, we, we're seeing this massive explosion in data, and it's no new news for, for the industry. Everybody knows big data has been around for for many, many years. Yes. And it's really how you harness that power of, of that data. Um, the discussion we had prior to the show is it's pointless storing data, and you do nothing with it. Absolutely. Um, it yeah. brings no value to any organization, to any customer. And it's costly as well. It's very costly. Yeah. Um, so you've got to harness the power of your asset. And that asset is obviously is 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 the power in the in the data. So, by example, um, we've done some work with a company called Planet Labs. Okay. So, in can in Planet Labs, we capture and we distribute over 140 satellites worth of data, imaging probably about 15 million square kilometers of the Earth's um, surface. Sure. So, what does that mean? It's great. Yeah, we have all these fancy images, yeah. and and it's. It's very nicely presented, etc. But actually, the practical implication is we can take disaster relief teams and send supplies where we need it in the world. Pretty much almost real-time analytics around that. If you look at a farming environment in the agricultural sector, farmers can use this data, analyze it, and they know when and where to plant what type of crops. Okay. And in the same token, if you look at a civil engineer, they can have a look at all of these things and start working with their city planners to develop new environments, new cities, resources that support that. I mean, can you imagine we maybe can use some of this data in the Cape Town disaster we have staring us in the face around the water supply? Yeah, absolutely. We can use and harness data like this and actually be proactive and, and do something about yeah. our environment. Fantastic. And and in doing this type of work, I mean, is there a, a, a lot of technology type of, you know, technical work being done or is it more about, you know, the, the business aspects of it? So what, what is the weight of effort that you find, you know, recently in terms of the work that you're doing? Is it more spending time, you know, with Planet Labs, for example, understanding their use cases, understanding their business, or is there a lot of just technical work that needs to be done? Most of it is driven by business okay. and business outcomes. Okay. Um, Tech for tech's sake is really very low return. Yeah, yeah. But if there's a real business case and a business driver and to make a business more successful, that's really where we see the the biggest impact and certainly the biggest demand and effort. Yes. And then you talk about that we're going to need new architectures um, to support this huge data phenomenon that's fast approaching us. Um, what What are these new architectures that we're going to need in place? What are the changes that you see coming there? I mean, I, I think firstly, let's look at IT and, and the role it's had in the organization in the past. Okay. 
So in the past, you've had primary functions like automate and optimize processes, and processes like ordering, billing, accounts receivable, etc. So automating, optimizing that, we all know IT's been very good at that over the years. Yes. But if you look at going forward, um, IT is becoming an integral part to enriching customer relationships, offering always-on services, looking at mobile applications, rich web experiences, everything around monetizing the data. Yeah. Okay. So that's really where we start looking and saying there's new application architectures that need to be there that's going to be supporting this technology, like, for example, persistent memory. Okay. And that's really coming back to the big data into huge data. Persistent memory, for example, will change your architecture deployment, and that will drive how you can better harness and monetize your data. Just persistent memory, just in a nutshell, what what, what does that mean? Probably asked no difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, essentially, it's, it's a whole complete change to, to how you process on the board. Okay. 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 Um, Without getting into all sorts of technical, technical details around okay. it, that's a whole half an hour discussion that I'd rather leave to the CTOs. Yeah. So, but but if I understand it correctly, then what what, what we're saying there is that um, the data or the information or the capacity and resources we need need to be far more available, right? They're not sitting deep down within the systems; they're almost on the surface, if I can mm-hmm. if I can put it like that. Correct. Okay. And then the final prediction. Um, talk me through that one. The emergence of decentralized immutable mechanisms for managing data. It's quite a, quite a mouthful. Yeah, very well, very well. That's why I left it to you to read that one. Essentially what it means is we, we try to find mechanisms that to manage our data in a more trustworthy and immutable um, and truly distributed way. Okay. Okay. So obviously we don't want data to be changing all the time. Okay, so once you've captured your data, you want to have consistency in it and you want to have really an authority to say it is the truth. Yes. And one version of it. Yes. So these type of technologies will obviously emerge and have much more of an impact on our data center. Classic example that's very much in the news today is Bitcoin. Yes. Okay, and the cryptocurrencies and what's happening in that space. But the underlying architecture or technology for that is blockchain. Hmm. And that's really what we're referring to in these type of things, where these then decentralized mechanisms, like a blockchain, will challenge the traditional senses of data protection and management. And the reason for that is simple. There's no central point of control, like a centralized server. So it's impossible to change the data or delete information for that matter that's contained within this blockchain um, and all transactions mm-hmm. within it. And it's no transaction can be um, reversible. So it becomes irreversible data capture, data data environments. Okay. And and so I guess that allows us to, to leverage uh, capacity that doesn't necessarily reside within our own environment or infrastructure on a different basis. Yeah, it, it, it certainly makes different architectures a lot more flexible okay. and a lot more... Um, productive. Yes. So uh, another way to describe it, which is not my area of expertise, but um, biological systems. So if you look at a, a biological system, uh, which is essentially a host of small organisms, right? Yes. Um, they all know each other. They know what they're supposed to do without anybody really communicating and telling them what to do. So now you throw in a bunch of nutrients. 
So in the tech space, that'll be your data that you put into the mix, right? And these nutrients, these data, or this data, knows what to do, and it all starts operating in a manner that's cooperative. Yes. And there's no central control. The best example in the world is a coral reef. It's exactly how it grows and um, sustains itself. So everything kind of has a particular function and they all work work together. They work without anybody telling them what exactly what to do. Yeah. They just understand. So I want to then take a step back. We've, we've got these five predictions. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, you, you're using this as well, I guess, to guide conversations with your customers. But if we were to zoom out of the five predictions themselves, if you gave me a perspective of, of you know, where you see 2018 going overall in terms of the industry, um, what do you envisage? I mean, do, do you see that there'll be significant growth? Where do you see is data going to be the primary conversation? Are we still dealing with infrastructure? What do you see coming forward in 2018 overall? I think firstly at a macro level, 2018 is setting up to be very exciting. Okay. Um, certainly the sense we feel with, within NetApp and in our customer environments and our channel and our partner community, there's a, there's a very big buoyancy around the economy and potentially a very good growth spurt in, in 2018. So that, that's, that boils down to very positive thinking and positive interactions. Absolutely. And with that, now South Africa has been a very resilient country for many, many years. Yeah. And we've always found ways to compete in the world landscape, in the global markets. And I don't see 2018 any different. We're expecting a much bigger uptake of digital disruption and transformation programs with, within our customers and also new entrants into markets which was traditionally dominated by by stalwart organisations. Yeah. Um, for example, which banking. Partic- yeah, yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, there's there's some very exciting banking entrants that um, are about to make their entrance into into that sector, and it's cha- challenging the status quo. And those are real disruptors. Um, no legacy infrastructures, no legacy systems and applications. Yeah, and they're bringing some fresh ideas and some fresh new thinking around that. And I think that's exciting for the economy. It's exciting for the market. It's exciting for customers. Yes. And challenges, where where do you perceive we will still have challenges that we still need to resolve, particularly from the tech space or the technology space? I think one of our biggest challenges in South Africa is obviously skills. You know, and and how do we accelerate our skills development and and our required resources, specifically in in the tech space? Yeah. And that's a big investment that the whole of South Africa in, in customers and OEMs like ourselves need to make. Okay. To develop and accelerate that. Yeah. I want to, um, just chat to you a little bit. You know, Gardner last year released the, their tech predictions uh, for 2018. And, um, I did some work just looking into some of the things they were saying, you know, they, they focus on augmented reality, AI, IoT, and a few other topics. Um, how are you seeing the development? Because obviously you guys play at the infrastructure level, um, so you, you kind of would be the custodians of, of a lot of, if AI is going to happen, it's going to sit on your infrastructure at some level or other. How are you seeing development of, of some of these trends? So um, let's start with, I mean, Internet of Things, very topical, um, a big topic in 2017. I think even into 2018, we'll still see a lot of conversation around it. Are there a lot of projects being initiated in that space by your customers? Um, or is it still something that's, pretty much at the conversation level, a lot of work still to happen. What are you seeing there? 
No, there's certainly there's there's a, there's a lot of that happening. Okay. Um, IoT per se is is not new. Yeah, it's, it's been around for for a number of years, mm. and certainly yeah, there's there's a lot of projects and a lot of activities around that. Okay, especially in the manufacturing space, the mining environments, um, even security space, physical security space. Yes, there's certainly a lot of those projects that are already in in the mix, and and some customers have already implemented quite a few of those initiatives. Mm. And has it accelerated or is it still at similar levels to what it's been in the past? Are we seeing a bigger uptake now that it's become so topical? I think it's becoming a heck of a lot more mainstream. Yeah. So there's a lot more uptake. Okay. There's, there's a lot of things happening in the space. It's it's moving fast. Yes, yes. And then artificial intelligence and augmented reality, that space, what, what are you seeing there? Yeah, so AI I think is sort of touching the surface at the moment, mm-hmm. what we're seeing and, and certainly the customers we're talking to. There's a lot of people that are feeling this out mm. and, and understanding how it's going to play an impact and so on. I think from, from a NetApp perspective, we'll probably see quite a, a significant amount of projects kicking off in the next 12 to 18 months in, in the AI space in South Africa. Okay. You know, South Africans by nature, we, we love technology. Yes. And we, we in some spaces are quite early adopters. Of, of new, new tech. Mm. And the impact on jobs, you know, it's always the conversation. So if we talk AI, it's kind of like ethics and morality and then, and jobs. And it depends who you're talking to, which one of those two comes up first. Are those conversations that, that, that you're hearing come up strongly or are we still kind of experimenting with the stuff? We haven't started to deal with some of the higher level type of issues there. Yeah, I haven't really come across a lot, a lot of that concern. Mm-hmm. I think it's as it gets more mainstream, yes, it will, probably surface a lot more but also it creates new environments new opportunities yeah so not just traditional job markets yeah so it will create different opportunities probably and i mean i've got small kids and what they would be doing one day in 15 years time 20 years time those jobs aren't probably invented today Mm. don't Mm. exist absolutely so I, i don't really see that as a concern yeah but, but even for your industrial type of environments, you know, mining and, uh, you know, the, the manufacturing spaces, you know, with obviously automation was always a concern around that, that taking away jobs. But, but with AI now potentially even taking up more of the jobs, you still think it's, it's an area that, that we can absorb the employment into, um, with this new type of functions and new types of jobs? For me, yeah, I, I do believe so. I, yeah. I think Africa as a continent have, have a challenge around unemployment. Yes. And certainly we do not want to see unemployment rates increase yeah. for the sake of, of technology taking over. Yeah. Where technology can play a role and a part in the mining industry to make our lives of our people down underground safer, mm. absolutely it's important. Yeah. And we need to harness that. Yeah. But the intention is never to, to put people out of jobs. Absolutely. Rather reskill them and redeploy them mm. in, in different roles and and responsibilities. Yeah. Then another big trend is, is around chat. So uh, we know all the big vendors um, have released or have got, um, you know, personal digital assistant type of, you know, chat enabled, whether it's Siri or Cortana or what's the other one, Alexi um, from Google, Microsoft and, and Apple. 
Um, but we're seeing that chat-based interactions um, are, are growing in significance. Um, what are the implications, or have you seen implications in terms of your business? Because obviously that's also increasing the volume of data, the type of data that you're storing, the way that you analyze it. Have, has, have you seen that start to play out in, in your space as well? Not really in our space. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, Netta being a data-driven organization, we harness the data, we make it available to, to our customers yeah. and provide them the mechanisms where they can put the data at the correct time at the, at the correct place mm. for the analytics and so on to take, to take place. So yes. the impact is for us to be able to obviously harness that data, store it correctly, um, provide it at the correct places and times, yeah. but not really interact with the data on, on a business level. Mm, mm. But just generally fr- from your perspective, I mean, do you see that there'll be a significant growth in chat or, you know, chat based, when I say chat voice uh, based interactions with technology or with systems? What's your sense on that? Well, it sort of comes back to your customer relationship and your enhancement of the customer experience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Every single organization have their own set of customers mm. and it's how you best service them and how you best interact with them. Mm, mm. And that really is where the impact is. Yeah. Um, and if it makes business sense and it adds value and it enhances your customer experience and make your customer more loyal to you, yeah. absolutely it's going to have an impact and it needs to be looked at. Fantastic. So can we talk a little bit about the new business? Um, where, you know, we've spoken kind of where you guys see the, the landscape playing out. Um, you've been, um, you know, running the organization now for, for close to a year. Um, what, 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 what do you have in, in place? I mean, I know you said there's a big focus on, on partnering, um, and focusing on your channel in 2018. Um, so what's happening overall within your business? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time for, for NetApp. You know, we, we almost see ourselves as a new startup, although we've been around in the industry for, for a very long time. Mm. In fact, this year we celebrated our 25th anniversary worldwide. Fantastic. So not, not a lot of tech companies can, can brag about that. Yeah. But essentially, it's for South Africa and Southern Africa, it's very exciting. We are 100% channel-driven business. So we support our channel. We develop our partner landscape. Um, we make sure that our partners are fully enabled to not only sell our technology but also support and service it. Okay. And that's obviously important. We do not compete with them in the in the market space. Yes. Um, I think that, that makes it exciting and attractive. For the channel to, to want to do business with NetApp. Mm. And certainly from a customer perspective, we see a lot of loyal customers out there. Customers that are very proud to be associated with NetApp. Yes. And have you seen a change in the profile of your partners or your customers? You know, the, with this disruptive energy coming, coming into the industry, are the, are you seeing different people asking you, inquiring about your services or, or is it still the, I mean, of course, there'll still be the traditional players, but I'm more interested in, at the edge, have there been kind of different conversations that you're having? It's it's actually interesting you ask that question. Um, one of our one of our channel partners is specifically in that space. Okay, and they've had engagements with probably ten, twelve new entrants, new digital disruptors. Yes, that have got very exciting stuff and um, things we can't really talk about just yet. Mm. But as they evolve in the next three to six months, um, certainly we can share that with with the media. Yeah. And, and the audience at large. But yes, we are seeing some, some newer players, some niche players that, that offer some very interesting 
development and AI and those sort of things to yeah, customers. Yeah. And is, is that challenging your thinking? I mean, um, naturally, obviously, you want to gear yourself for what's happening in the future, but are you having to approach the way you do business differently within that? It definitely changes our philosophy. I mean, the, our whole team is going through a metamorphosis of changing from traditional IT infrastructure players to a data-driven, data-central organization. Mm. So that that creates a big, big change in, into our way of thinking yep. and bringing business and data more relevant to the conversations we have on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and then I know as well, you, you focus not only on South Africa, but on, on SADC. So, you know, the countries uh, bordering South Africa. Is the dynamic very different in, in those, in those countries or very similar? Um, how is it playing out? A lot of the needs are very similar and in some cases probably exactly the same. Okay. I think typical sort of thing that we see is people are hungry for technology. Mm. They're really hungry to make a difference. Yes. And, there's there's a lot of disrupting factors in those countries that are embracing the the technology. Okay, so we see. So it's, I think it's, it's equalizing. So and with technology, it's kind of I guess um, bringing those bridges in terms of differences a lot closer together. For sure, and and obviously within that space, when you look at the network infrastructures and 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 the um, carrier businesses, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So yeah. cloud technology, cloud adoption, the the. The landscape in SADC is, is hungry for that. Yes. And they, they're ready to embrace it. Okay. And, um, just very quickly, uh, we, we spoke earlier about, you know, the likes of, of Amazon, of Google and Microsoft, you know, bringing these hyperscale cloud, um, capabilities into, into South Africa. So onto the continent, um, starting with South Africa. What are the implications of that for, for a company like NetApp? Is, is it a case of leveraging what they're bringing in? Is it more competitive pressure? What, what does that imply for you? So for me, for, for us, it's very exciting. Um, NetApp is one of the few OEMs that actually has a cloud-first strategy. Okay. So if you, if you read up what we do with AWS and Azure, those are two massive alliance partners for us globally. And just recently, end of last year, we launched um, NFS as a service within uh, the Azure. NFS? NFS as a service. Okay, what's NFS? So your native file servers. Okay. Um, in, in Azure. So natively, you can buy today any of our NetApp on-prem solutions that you would traditionally have bought. You can buy that natively in the cloud, in AWS or Azure. And we've also extended parts of that into the local economy with local service providers. So for, for NetApp, we embrace the cloud. We're absolutely excited for AWS and Azure to be coming into South Africa and offering their services here. Okay. They are very strong alliance partners for us. And we absolutely support the um, customers that, that want to move into that space. Okay. So it's, it's a partnership environment. It, it increases your capability to provide Correct. Your, your products and services. Correct. Okay. We've, so we've come, you know, pretty much close to the, to the end of the show. And, and I just want to wrap up um, with a couple of questions. Um, uh, I'm pleased, you know, what pleases me, I guess, is that, you know, we, the, a lot of the things that we've seen globally in terms of trends are very much applicable to us here. Um, in, in South Africa and on the continent, you know, so although, you know, we might talk about autonomous vehicles or whatever, but, you know, fundamentally what you're saying is that data becomes a, a currency in effect and a very important currency that we need to take care of 
in, you know what I mean? And, and I think whether we're dealing in the agricultural space and the technology space, whatever industry we're dealing with, to be cognizant of the data we're generating and how we leverage it becomes critically important. Would you, would you agree with that? Totally. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So two questions then. Um, you know, you run SADAC, you run the, the South African, um, uh, um, concern for, for, for your organization. Um, what is your vision then, um, within that context for South Africa and for the continent? What do you see in the future? Like I said earlier, I think it's a very exciting time for, for NEDAP. You know, we've, we've got a fantastic team in South Africa and in, and in the continent. And it's, it's really leveraging what we're doing with our partner landscape, what we're doing with our alliances and, and bringing that to the customers and okay. enabling them. And we're in a very exciting digital transformation, digital disruption phase. Yes. Where I think we can have a massive impact. And okay. help our customers really transform. Okay. And, I mean, you mentioned digital disruption. Uh, your definition, your personal definition of or what, what it means to be disruptive or what digital disruption really means, what would you offer? Well, I always say rather be the disruptor than being disrupted. Yeah. <laughs> so so change, change, change the way you think, you know. Let, don't let legacy bog you down. Yeah. There are mechanisms out there to, to transform your business, to, yes. to enhance to really embrace the customer because our customers embracing their customers makes for a successful chain. Yeah. And really it's about users today. We're so used to instantaneous communication, instantaneous this, and we want everything at the, at the push of a button. Yeah. And that is transforming into the business landscape. We, and that's really the biggest challenge, I think, for digital transformation mm. is to bring that into a environment that the customers will enjoy doing business with their, with their suppliers. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Monet. Um, Monet Becker, the MD, uh, country manager for NetApp in South Africa and also the regional uh, director for SEDEC. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, talking about um, their predictions, their five predictions for 2018 and how the data landscape will, will shape um, how we do business and I guess how we interact with everyday things. We spoke about autonomous vehicles and how having that data and information available at the edge, which means in that moment becomes more important going forward than you know, having these large monolithic systems that process, you know, the data after the fact. Thank you so much, Monet. Thank you for joining me. Um, thank you for being with us on the show on Disrupt with Mpumi Ntlapo, um, to our sponsors, T-Systems, for making the platform available once again. Thank you very much. Uh, we look forward to having you once again joining us next week on the show, Disrupt with Mpumi. Have a wonderful day. This is Disrupt with Mpumi Ntlapo, powered by T-Systems. This is cliffcentral.com.